Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If it's your first time, welcome. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your support. I couldn't do this without all of you. I am very excited today to have our subject matter expert on. His name is Scott Warren. Scott is the owner-operator of Britmar Tactical Consulting. He is a 35-year veteran of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, a retired staff sergeant with operational deployments in Afghanistan and the Ukraine. He has been a team leader for ERT. He is a emergency response assaulter, sniper trainer, has a wealth of knowledge and experience. And we just kind of get right into it. Our conversation goes back and forth. A lot of gems in here if you are a up-and-coming trainer, instructor, and you want to get a little bit of insight from somebody who has been there, done that. So I hope you guys really enjoy this podcast. I look forward to hearing all of your comments and questions. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on any of your favorite podcast players and apps, or you can just download it right from our website at thebreakdown.ca. So without any further ado, let's jump right into the interview with Mr. Scott Warren. So Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. I know you're a very busy guy. You got a lot of stuff going on now, spending a lot of time out at the range. I've kind of given everyone a, an intro as to who you are, but let us know a little bit about your background and what you do. Firstly, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great to make touch with people that are interested in tactics. Long and short, I did 35 years as a policeman in the RCMP, and, and I specialized in tactics, emergency response, that sort of thing. Started early on, have policed in four provinces, was fortunate enough to be team leader of a 21-man ERT team, uh, emergency response team in Ontario, was also on one of the teams on Vancouver Island. And that, that spanned 20 years on and off, just depending on where I was posted and, and whether I could make it or not. Uh, yeah, I just uh, I, I got involved in firearms in 1987. I've seen a lot of things change over the years. I've developed myself. I don't believe in being a dinosaur. I believe in moving forward and learning from young guys and, and keeping things fresh. What we had talked about earlier uh, today was officers and people that are in law enforcement, military security, even first responders, taking responsibility for their own training, their own learning, and you know, always being that lifelong learner. You want to talk a little bit about tactics, how they change and stuff like that. Why don't you share with us uh, a story as to why you feel that tactics are changing and why you feel that people have to take responsibility for their own training? I just, uh, you know, and I, and I don't want to badmouth an organization that, that fed me for years and continues to do that in retirement. But what I find is just money and time is an issue for most organizations. And if I were to just sit around and waited my whole career, I would just be overweight and eating pizza, half price at Boston Pizza. Uh, um, and I just didn't feel that that was a good path to take. I, I joined at a interesting time simply because there were different requirements when you got in. And I was a little guy, man. I weighed 145 pounds and I was 5'8". And uh, I knew early on that there were some big people out there and I maybe needed to take some responsibility for myself, whether it was strength, size, awareness, and those sorts of things. And so I started developing myself early and stayed fit. And fitness to me is like the number one thing when it comes to survival. There's all kinds of cases out there where a bad guy saw somebody that was fit and wouldn't even take a run at them. 
And uh, that's so that's important. And there's no time to work out on duty. Yeah, you're in a specialty section. Maybe you can do that. But I found out early, no, I should probably run before work, lift weights after work, do those sorts of things. And then try my best to get on whatever courses I could. And the changing piece of that is that if we rely on the, on the organization and the biggest piece you get is the original training piece. Uh, in our case, it's at the National Academy in Regina. And I, I also taught there for four years. And while I was there, I thought everything was cutting edge. Everything was great until you realize that that's where people peaked in a lot of cases. And, and the example I give is just last week, I was teaching a carbine course. I'm, I'm teaching at the Pacific Region Training Center here, teaching firearms in my retirement. And we we're teaching a carbine user course. And just as a really quick aside, I said, okay, we're going to get into some stoppages with the carbine. You've got cover, you've got time, you've got distance. What's the first thing we should do when we, we, we stepped out, we took some shots, the gun doesn't work anymore. And the answer I'm trying to elicit at that point is look at your bolt because by, by day three, they've seen this stuff and they understand how the gun works. And what I get is two or three out of 13 people say, go to one knee. So that's not wrong. It's just that that's what was taught in depo for years. Go to one knee, make yourself a smaller target. And the reality is you need to look for cover. You need to get out of the way. And I understand that you're limited on a range, you're static, and we have a lot of rangeisms, but to me, it wasn't so much the answer as the fact that nothing had happened. This person that said that had 18 years service. And I thought, wow, that speaks volumes to the amount of extra training they have had or taken themselves because there's been no advancement there. That is not what's taught anymore. And that is not the answer. But it's funny how we rely on our original training and it's just not good enough nowadays. Do you find that, I mean, with all your years of service, have you found that the training has kind of remained stagnant or not that it remains stagnant but a lot of times the changes that do happen and as they occur almost take too long to happen oh absolutely i was fortunate enough to be a staff relations rep in the rcmp for six and a half years and my portfolio was officer safety at the national level so i sat on national policy committees and i i was involved in some of the rollout of training. I was heavily involved in the rollout of the carbine to the RCMP and the rewrite of the uh, conducted energy weapon information that's out there following the YVR catastrophe. And I say that, and I'll touch on a book later on that refers to that. But I was involved at various levels. And the response routinely is, we're too big, that's too hard, we can't do this. And the reality is, it's different policing downtown Surrey than it is in PEI. And it's really hard to check all the boxes and have everybody satisfied that they know what they're doing everywhere. And that's not a shot at PEI. I mean, PEI is a beautiful place. And there's some fantastic members that have taught carbine courses with instructors from PEI. The point is it's different everywhere. And as a result, it's difficult for a large organization to change things really quickly. So we, we've made a ton of gains in the last few years. Like it's been amazing to sit and watch. And when I say that, I just mean that some of the information that we're now providing, it is cutting edge. But now we get into the stage, okay, we, we brought a carbine in. We have some pretty cool tools. We've done this. We have a platform. We have how we're going to deliver the information. And now we're into the this needs to change and that needs to change. And here's where it starts to slow down. Great people in these places, you know, trying their best to make some of these changes, but, you know, uh, very, very slow to move forward that way. Yeah. You know what? And, and 
you touched on something there that kind of peaked, uh, had a light bulb go off. And that's the fact that you were an RCMP officer. And I think you said you were, you finished off as a staff sergeant, but throughout your time with the RCMP, uh, I know a lot of people um, in Canada already understand this, but for people that are listening in the U S around the world, that the RCMP is kind of a, a, it's a federal policing agency. So you do have officers and detachments that are in major centers or around major centers and that deal a lot in the urban environment. But a lot of the detachments are very there. I mean, they're way off in the boonies there. You know, you have one or two officers um, for a very large uh, area um, and a lot of their uh, patrolling is rural. Right. And I can imagine that it's extremely difficult to make a standardized training program that suits the needs of both urban and rural detachments. Is that something that you've come across? Oh, absolutely. And, it, and it's funny because it, it, my career touched on all that. I started in northern Alberta and ended up in a small town just outside of Lethbridge, Picture Butte, three-man detachment at the time. And I think they're up to four now. But you are by yourself, working by yourself all the time. And it's not like I gained... 80 pounds of muscle in, in, you know, the first couple of years of my service. Yeah. I, I started running and I was getting more and more fit, but now I'm working by myself, no backup. And yes, things have changed. Even that's changed over time. Thanks to the SRR program and some work that some of my friends have done on that. But the reality is it's a different response. We love to talk about overwatch, for example, right? So if I want to use one of my tools, it's great to have lethal overwatch because we love saving lives, not taking them. And how do you get Overwatch when you're by yourself in some situations, right? And yes, we have call-out protocols and you can get backup, but reality is anybody, any person around understands how slow it can be to get your clothes and to get your wits about you at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning when one of your buddies calls and says, hey, I need some help out here. Um, it's really, really difficult. The firemen make it look so easy when their boots and pants are all set up and they just jump in after a good night's sleep. <laughs> not, not, not so for us. <laughs> when we're running home and trying to get a few hours because we got to come back for day shift. So yeah, it does really vary. And, and to be alone and, and of a certain stature was me in that case. Right. So I, I went to, uh, you know, 1990, 91, I'm, I'm in picture butte and I'm by myself and I'm still not a big dude. And I still have to use my communication skills and, and just being able to position myself properly. And those are skills that you know, you see junior members are kind of missing on some of that as well. And I, and I think that sometimes we think that maybe somebody senior can't teach you something because you know everything. Because that's, we we create this knowledge-based, you are the greatest when you graduate from any academy. And I, and I think that that's a highlight of everybody's career. We all, re, all remember that. But I think that people just need to understand that that's the beginning. That That is, you know, that's not the end. And... uh yeah, okay, you, you've done really well. That's one goal. Now, now continue to reach reach out and get some more goals, right? And, I, and again, I was fortunate. Four provinces, you know, 13 physical moves, um, two marriages later. You know, like, I, I mean, I've done I've done it all, good, bad, and, and ugly. So, yeah, and in the meantime, though, I've always made sure to keep myself and my skills honed and refuse to turn into that person. I think probably some of your listeners are like, oh, he's a staff sergeant. Why are we listening to him? Because we all have had that boss, right? And I was fortunate that I had some awesome bosses early on. Leaders, actually. not had nothing to do with rank. It just had to do with leadership. And that's another one, right? Like, get your guys and girls out there and, and have your meetings and show them how to do some things. And if you have to do it in a parking lot at 4 o'clock in the morning, do it at 4 o'clock in the morning, right? If there's only two of you working, get out there and say, 
if this happened, what would we do in this situation? Don't wait for me to show up and do some training for you. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And for the guys and gals out there that are listening that are in those supervisory roles or those mentorship positions, whether they be FTOs or, you know, on the military side and their new master corporals, those types of things, and you're getting into these new leadership roles where training of your subordinates is going to be part of that role. What are some tips that you would give to somebody who's starting out just teaching and training um, new officers? I would immediately get them to hook themselves up with somebody who they either know or somebody that is well-known in the area that they're in and has a really good teaching reputation. Because I've worked with some awesome instructors inside and outside the RCMP. I, I was fortunate enough to to be overseas twice, once with the RCMP, well, twice. I mean, one job was four or five times, but I've taught in Afghanistan for a year, um, tactics and policing skills to the national SWAT team there. And I've done several of my own contracts with my own business uh, in Ukraine, helping them build the patrol police there. So no matter where you go, there's people with tons of knowledge. And if you can align yourself with someone, it doesn't matter whether you're just learning to be a police officer, you're learning to be an instructor. We have good and bad things from everybody. I was just in a conversation yesterday. I was doing a, a lesson for someone who hired me to, to hone their shooting skills. Like, just take them to the next level. And I'll talk about why that's important as well. And I just said, it's just uh, it's so incumbent upon us to look to other people and understand that you can learn something from everybody. And I don't want to give the example because maybe the person I'm talking about is listening. But I worked with uh, with somebody who nobody really had a lot of respect for. And I still, right to the bitter end of my career, I used a piece of advice he gave me early on. And I thought, wow, you can get information from anybody. If you just listen, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you talk and you'll be amazed at what you hear, right? And the other the other saying I like to use in training is, this, is if we're talking, we're not learning anything. Uh, I heard that years ago from somebody else. I can't even say who that was, but I, because I just don't remember, but I just thought that is so true. When I'm teaching someone, I might sound knowledgeable, but nothing new is coming into my head, right? Yeah. As you, uh, as uh, you and I get to know each other a little bit better, if you ask anybody who knows me at all, I think the reason why I, I gravitated towards doing a podcast is because I don't know how to shut up. <laughs> no, I like that too. That's so, uh, I'm pretty this, yeah, this platform is perfect <laughs> for me, um, and I challenge myself yeah. every time I, I interview someone that uh, you know it's like, okay, I gotta let, I gotta make sure that you guys get the information out there because you're the ma- you're the expert, and I'm just the host. So, uh, well, what's funny? What's funny about that, and what's so true about that though, is it's why I started my own business because there are certain things that any organization I'm teaching for, maybe they want something specific, but maybe I have to stick to whatever their guideline is. But when I'm teaching for myself, I I stick for what's right, what I learned, what I know. And I may not show exactly what you were taught at training or exactly what you were showed last week at the national uh, AFQ, right? Annual firearms qualification. It might be a little different because I've honed different skills over time. And that's kind of one of the reasons I like it. I like to be able to tell my own story and to teach my own stuff. So, I mean, it kind of flies in the face of me saying, listen more than you speak, because there are certainly times when it is important that you pass that information on, right? I think that's a great point, especially for anybody listening who's getting into teaching and training. Trusting yourself and trusting the knowledge that you have, you're obviously in that position for a reason. I mean, obviously, there's going to be the one-offs um, where maybe you should, you're not quite ready, but 
I mean, everybody start the first course you ever teach. You're not ready for it. You don't know what's going to happen and everything goes wrong. But being confident in what you're sharing, the information that you're sharing, and just realizing that you are going to have people in, and it happens a lot for me, a lot of people that you have in their teaching, you're trying to, you're training them on something and they have either a ton more experience than you. They've been on the job for many, many years more than you were, or they bring in outside experience and expertise. And, you know, like it, there's nothing more difficult than trying to run like a DT course and it's split up between uh, new officers and senior members that have been around for 25 years. And then you have people that are, you know, jujitsu black belts and you're trying to teach uh, like a, a shoulder lock or a pin. And they're obviously they know more than 99% of the population in terms of how to do that move correctly. Um, and now you're sitting there trying to dumb it down for them. And it's tough to keep their attention. Whereas, yes, it is. You know, you have, or, and I'm sure you deal with that. Um, I know you specialize in the firearms training, but I'm sure you have people that come in that are green, that have never held firearms before, other than when they went through depot or whatever agency they're working with in their their basic training. To you guys that have been shooting since they were kids, you know, which is why, which is why I say it's important. This is not about me trying to get business, although that's always an awesome thing. But it's why I say. That sometimes we need to step out and find some, seek other uh, teaching places and platforms because reality is I have to, as an organizational instructor, teach to a lowest common denominator. Uh, and I jokingly say to guys all the time, and I can get away with more things than most just because of my age, I suppose, but I always say, listen, you're all getting a participation ribbon. So now that we got that out of the way, can we try to learn something today? Because the reality is that's a society we live in, right? Everybody's equal. Everybody's great. The reality is you can take things to the next level. You know, there's all kinds of capable police officers out there and military people and security, but there's also some really, they're better than the average one that's capable. And uh, unfortunately, when it comes down to that general teaching within an organization, it's really hard to keep those people interested. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a huge benefit to privatized training. I've been a fan of it for a long time for the fact that you can, you know, when any kind of regimented or agency type training, whether it be in law enforcement or in my experience with the forces um, in the military, you know, everything's set out the same. The qualifications remain the same. Um, I mean, they change from time to time, but everybody does the same qualification. Right. And everyone's like, oh, I always want to do, you know, the the cool stuff. I want to learn how to do, you know, tactical reloads on the move, those types of things. And I want to do live fire ranges. And well, that's great, but we have to work up to that. And a lot of the time people don't realize that it's, it's, there's a lot of little steps. It it may seem like it's not a big deal because you're already at the range and there's not a big difference between doing a static shoot and a moving shoot. For the people that are running the ranges, the RSO, like that, there's a huge change. Um, and a lot of times people don't understand that. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because a lot of times people that haven't belonged to private ranges don't understand that you can't turn sideways on most ranges nowadays either. You can't raise your gun up over 15 feet over your head, right? So, I mean, some of the tech- techniques and tactics that we're teaching today, you're not doing it, for example, Chilliwack Range here. You just can't do them there. Policies and procedures are what bind you on what you can teach and what you can do in those places too. It was interesting. Uh, I'm I'm located out here in Winnipeg, 
And I was having a hard time finding a range to go and do just simple handguns. I just wanted to take uh, my nine mil out just to do some basic shooting. And I'm used to being on a, a Canadian Forces range where we go there on the off day because we're quali- we know we're all qualified RSOs. We go out there, we can shoot, we can kind of set it up however we want. Right. And there's no one out there to kind of yell at you if you're doing something. And, you know, I'm trying to find ranges here. And I went to one and it was something as simple as um, reholstering a loaded firearm. Oh, yeah. And that was uh, that was a I got so I, I can't remember what I was doing. I was doing a I was shooting. Something was off. Something changed. I reholstered and somebody came up to me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, oh, oh God. <laughs> OK, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. I know. And I was just out doing the tour of the Chilliwack range, like seriously, two weeks ago. And that, that came up and I was like, man, I'm glad I came for the, uh, what do they call the meet and greet or whatever? Cause I thought, why am I going to this? I've been a gun guy forever. And then I started hearing their rules and I was like, geez, I'm glad I showed up today. You know, cause I didn't, I, I didn't understand. Yeah. There's uh it's funny. I'm sure there's people that are listening to this down in the U S and they're like, what are these guys talking about? No. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, you unload your gun and you lay it down, action up on the counter there because people are going down range. Right? Yeah, exactly. Barrel down range, yeah. slide back, action. Yep, exactly. So yeah, and just leave it. It'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, don't. Yeah, and and I don't I don't blame them because again, we're talking lowest common denominator, right? They're doing exactly the same thing there. They don't want to lose their permits and all that sort of stuff either. When we talk about firearms training, I know that's kind of your bread and butter, and we talked about incidents that have happened let's we can go rcmp specific incidents when it kind of changed the landscape of the firearms training that was being taught for the rcmp um a few that jumped to mind of course would be Marthorpe. for me one that kind of was close to home was the officers that were shot up in spirit with saskatchewan um, yeah. and then moncton obviously a huge news story a few years back what comes about when those incidents happen you were right in the middle of those Walk us through the reaction from like from a national level or from a detachment level as to what happens when those incidents occur. Yeah. Um, Marathorpe, of course, that, that was the first big one, right? And uh, the interesting, very first interesting piece I can tell you that is that one of my buddies was with Calgary Major Crimes at the time. We talked like within a day of that happening and he was there and it was a tragedy and it was terrible. And I actually know one of the boys that was shot there and I've known his family for years, Leo Johnson. And, you know, we were just talking, generally speaking, and I just said, I'm just calling to check on you because I knew you had gone. And, you know, and he said, I appreciate that. And he said, can I give you one piece of advice? Because he and I taught in Regina together at the academy, and he wasn't a firearms guy. He was applied police sciences, but tons of knowledge and just like a really good cop. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll pass on whatever I can. And he said, this guy lives everywhere. This is not an anomaly. This is the guy you and I, Scott, have been dealing with forever. Just enough is enough, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that kind of, you know, that turned on so many light bulbs in my mind, right? Because I've been in so many situations that, you know, looking back, could have gone way worse. And therefore, the grace of God, go any one of them every day on the street, right? I think every time I see a policeman out there, I thank them because I get to go to sleep at night nowadays and not have to worry about those things so much. But uh, the landscape changes in, in ways that 
you know, one of the guys showed up, and I'm sorry I can't remember all I, I, their names specifically, but one of them shows up on a day off to move a police car, and they say, you want to come and look at the stuff in the shop here? So he doesn't even have a gun on. He's in plain clothes. So that sort of thing changed, right? How we do containment changed. You know, it's pretty normal on a containment years ago to get four corners of a shed. Doesn't it make sense to have minimum of two people on the co- opposite corners, right? So you can watch both sides and I, I totally admit I've been in those situations where you're like, oh, this is a scene and there's a body in there. What's the big deal? Let's sit in the front together and drink a coffee, right? And so that sort of has changed as well, you know, certainly depending on the leadership of, of any given detachment. Like where do you put people and how many people do you put out there? But money doesn't seem to be as big a concern nowadays for security. And uh, then, of course, long guns. What sort of response could they have? Leo got some shots off and, uh, you know, would a long gun have helped in that situation? Then it took us a long time to get to a carbine, and I won't get into the politics on that. But then we, you know, th- then we had one. As far as spirit would, that to me was like, and again, don't like to speak ill of the deceased, but that was a total training situation right there, right? That, that um, and not not their fault. So I guess I should put that in there. But just to, how do I respond to this? And then basically a panic and what we call going into the black, right? How do you respond to that? And it's fight or flight. And if you don't feel that you're in a situation where you can respond, and again, I wasn't there, then your next best thing is just to get the heck out of there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, again, then you got your different vehicles responding and should they have bullet-resistant glass and what would the cost of all those sorts of things be, right? And gas mileage, and it just goes on and on. And can you, and we and we can't eliminate all risk in the in policing world. You just can't. You can do your best. And then Moncton was a perfect example of, of the need for long guns and immediate response and being able to get them right away and have them on the road. And it is a great system that we have in place right now. And uh, unfortunately, it's tragedy that pushes us forward because uh, we risk manage. Yeah, I would even say that at times that we're risk averse, we just try to totally avo- avoid it and say that doesn't happen. I sat on When I sat on the National Policy Health and Safety Committee, I sat there with Alphonse McNeil, who ended up writing that final report. They still called the McNeil report over Moncton and what we could change. And many of those things that were in that report are things that we had talked about five, six years previous to that, because we knew that there was lack in training. There was lack in responsibility on mandatory training. I, I have a really simple one that I used to say at this meeting. What's mandatory training? And can you list it for me? And so it's, it, you know, it's simple things like firearms and carotid and OC baton, and it's all your basic skills and it's first aid. And those are the mandatory ones. And then the next question I would ask is what percentage of people are trained in these mandatories? It's kind of a crazy question, right? Because mandatory means a hundred percent, doesn't it? But the organization was always pretty happy with around 70 to 75%. And I would say then you need to change the definition of mandatory because that's clearly not mandatory. And I think that's one of the things that we've dropped the ball on as an organization. And I don't think we're the only ones out there. You know, just getting your guys and girls out to get the time to do things. We hear that all the time. We have people coming in to qualify. They haven't slept. They were working a night shift. They come in to qualify because there's just not enough people on the road. And again, that's bigger than you and me. That's a government thing. Like how much money do you want to put into policing? Policing's expensive. It's a large bill. I worked one of those jobs as well as a money guy for a detachment when I was a sergeant. And when you compare your budgets to the other ones in town, you're like, oh my goodness, that's a big budget because it really is, you know? And so when you're looking at the budget as a mayor or council and you look and you see that's the biggest number or one of them 
then maybe we should make some cuts there. And uh, it just is what it is. There's only so much money out there, and I get that. But mandatory training needs to be mandatory, and, and it needs to be done. That was always a that's always a difficult one too. I think, especially because I mean, a vast majority of police agencies in Canada. I don't know how it works in the U.S., but a lot of them are unionized, if not all of them. Yes, and that creates a whole nother layer of of difficulty when it comes to kind of fail no fail task like firearms training. Right. You know. Well, okay, I understand. I know the union goes, well, I know they failed this time, um, so let's give them another shot. Oh, I know they failed again, but we have to do more training. Let's give them another shot. At what point do you say, obviously, this person isn't meeting the standard, and now it is not just a safety thing for them, but it's a safety for the community. It's a safety for their fellow officers. We need to remove this person from service. That's a that's a slippery slope, I would imagine. Yeah. Obviously, I have no personal experience with that, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you have. Yeah. Is that something that, that needs to, to change or be addressed? I think what we have changed with regard to that, now I probably sound like management, and I always say it's funny, I worked for the our, our, <laughs> our former union, you know, non-union union, the SRR program, and I was management. But I think what we've done over the years is our remedial, especially in the firearms area, is so much better. And our operational skills maintenance is so much better. So if somebody's involved in a serious incident, they come in for an assessment. And yes, they see psychologists and they do the things that have to be done from that side medically. But they also come in and then and people, experts then decide, trainers, because I train in that field as well. But, you know, experts in, in all the various fields get together and they say, yeah, this person is capable of responding. But our remedial is certainly at a level where I think that we are putting more and more people on the road that are capable of meeting the standard. So that's really the best I can offer because I don't know if the standard's hard enough or high enough. I mean, I I have my own opinions on that and I think it's really low. But the frustration for me lies in the fact that when they don't take personal ownership, for example. So I asked a member years uh, a few months ago, they said, is there anything I can do to make this easier? going forward. And I said, and one of the guys laughed because I said, do you have a floor at home? And the member said, yes. And I said, have you ever considered getting down on it and doing a push up?" (laughs) So uh, they laughed and they said, touche. And I said, I don't know what else I can tell you, right? Like strength is an issue. (laughs) There's nothing I can do for you, right? Yeah. They're selling tennis balls at Canadian Tire. You get three of them for less than $5. Squeeze one, you know? Yeah. Like, do do the things that you can do to make yourself better. Um, do I ever think we're going to be in a position where we can let people go? No. And I don't think it's just because of the union. I just think we spend so much money on people. Here, here's a really interesting one that I learned years ago when I was in, in Regina teaching. I did a uh, an FBI tour of the base in, in Regina, Saskatchewan, and I taking them around. We're showing them various things. And we, we talked about everything. We talked about recruit field training. We talked about selection. We talked about everything in training. And so I said to them, what percentage of your recruits fail out, lose, like, you know, you know, they don't finish. And these two guys looked at me and said, uh, zero. And I said, you have zero failure rate. And my brain immediately goes to the type of training. Like it must be amazing. And they said, Scott, what we've done over the years is we decided to hire the right people and then we make them successful. And I thought, wow, that is a total different approach. 
it's not that we as an organization are not hiring the right people or Vancouver's not or anything. It's just that we maybe don't have the right attitude when it comes to putting people through. We're there to provide a service. I actually, as a, as a totally, I brought to the front of my brain one day, it's time that I started telling people that I'm here for you when I'm teaching for the RCMP. I'm here for you. And I say exactly the same thing when, I, when I'm teaching with my own business. You hired me and I'm here for you. So you need to tell me what you think you need to work on and I can make you successful. I, I'm that confident. But they need to take the responsibility for what their shortcoming is, right? You want, you want me to put together a personal training program for you because I do that too. I'll do that for you. I'll help you be successful because I think that's what we're supposed to be doing as trainers. And I thought that that's what the FBI was saying to me was that's our responsibility to pick the right people and, and make them successful. So they back trooped whoever they had to, they fixed whoever they had to, and they were all successful. And I just thought that was a great approach. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And especially, you know, a lot of people don't, especially new, I, I've found that, you know, even when I first got into the military, and I'm sure it's the same thing for, for new officers, is you almost, you look at your instructors as kind of almost like a, a godlike figure, right? They're the ones that know everything. You know nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be difficult at times yeah. to to go up and ask a question. I know everybody always says, "Okay, right. ask us any questions you have," um, but nobody ever does. I have always, right. I've always been of the mindset that I'm going to squeeze every bit of knowledge that I can out of these people while I have the time with them. So, whether it's a, a defensive tactics class, whether we're just in a in a you know a book class um, doing lectures or we're on the range if we're done it's like hey uh, hey sergeant after we're done here could you walk me through how to do this differently or how to how to better myself in this because I feel like I'm I'm my transition from long gun to my sidearm is slow can you can you give me some tips right. and I've never once except for I think maybe one or two times when like it was a time issue that they've said no Right, because as an instructor, and and now having been an instructor for a few years, quite a few years now, I've all I've I've always wanted to share information. I've pushed course. You know, you think you're going to be there for four hours one day, and you're there for eight. Right. You're you always. I've always spent the extra time because that's what I'm there to do. I love teaching, and I'm always going to want to teach. And I think that I think for new people that are just getting into it, new recruits or anything like that just understand that it's it's okay to go up and ask for more help yeah yeah i totally agree i mean yesterday i had a two-hour session it was three by the time i was done because i think that that's probably what most instructors are like right they want to give more information you know if the person's interested in taking that information i'll certainly take the time to give them that information yeah and that's the and that's what we want is we want the sponge we want the person that wants to get better and, and learn other things the, the problem is is that those people are few and far between they absolutely are yeah you know what sure. i mean it, it you'd love to be able to have a class full of just guys and girls that just want to stay there yeah, um but sure. it's, it seems like it's at the end of every course and every every class people can't wait to pack up their stuff to get home it's not. It's pretty usual for us on a Monday to find to have somebody ask at least one person to ask what time we're done on Friday. When's lunch? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it's just uh, it just is what it is. Uh, again, I think then let's let's take it back to us though, right? You've been teaching for years. What do we got to do? We got to make the class interesting, right? We got to make them want to stay past three o'clock on a Friday, you know. And uh, it might be dry material. I used to say when I was teaching in Regina, it's really hard teaching the first class of the day the one just before lunch, 
the one right after lunch, and the one just before the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's only two classes in between all that, right? Yeah. But it's so true when you're trying to set an atmosphere, right? You can just read the class. So, um, yeah, it's our responsibility to make it interesting, but not only interesting, use some personality. And I think if I think if I was mentoring someone right now, what I would what I would do and what they would see, and I and, and I mentor young guys all the time, right? They watch and they say, "I liked how you said that. I like how you do this. I like this energy." It would be that's what you need to do. You need to commit yourself to the product that you're delivering. You need to have the passion to deliver it and, and make sure that you stick with it because that's what's going to make interesting, interested people is interesting, not just interesting topics, but how you deliver. And I don't care whether that's humor. Not everybody's funny, right? But passion is a good one, man. When I see somebody teach with passion, I can learn anything from them because they get it. Like you want to hear me go off on a rant on speed and tack reloads. Like there's some passion right there. I teach them because I'm mandated to teach them. They're the dumbest thing in the whole world, you know, but I'll passionately tell you how dumb they are. I mean, I don't give them a whole lot of passion when I'm teaching them, but I teach them because I have to, but not in my class, not with Britmar. No, that's not why you're here. Shoot till you're empty yeah. and reload. And I think that's what we need. We need partial mags. We need uh, mags with one in. We need mags with 28 in. We need all kinds of stuff. And I want you to shoot this. When you run out, do a friggin' reload. You know, or transition to your pistol if you're in close and you have no cover. Do what you got to do. But my gun's working. Why would I start frigging with that gun? And when I start talking like that at that level on one of my courses, people are like, okay, I get this now, right? Like, because there's passion there. And uh, I think that's what we need is passion when we're delivering information. And then not only do, I'm not just talking buy-in as much as I'm talking about paying attention and actually learning a new skill. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second. Um, I know you have your sure. own company your your consulting company tell us a little bit about what you what you do why you why you branched off i mean i'm assuming it's because after retirement you you wanted to to have something to keep you busy yeah but what tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys do so what i started to do and when you say you guys you can drop the s on guys because it's just me right now but uh, i like to say i'm the owner operator and ceo it makes me sound very important but uh it started in 2004. I always had this idea that I should be doing something for myself. And, and I was working in Surrey at the time. And uh, a friend of mine was teaching some vehicle stuff. And they and they needed uh, help with their tactics with regard to some deliveries and making sure their drivers were safe. And, you know, sort of tactical repositioning, communication, those sorts of things, which are all skills that are still involved, right? So when you say firearms, I still want to talk to people. I still want to be able to de-escalate. I've done some instruction in that area as well, right? And because I, I think that's all part and parcel of officer safety. And so it, I needed a company name because the only way they could pay me was to have a company name. So my oldest daughters are Brittany and Marley, and I thought Britmar sounded cool. And I researched it, and it became Britmar Tactical. And uh, over the years, I just slowly worked on things, and I, I, I have had like two or three different websites. I'm working on another one right now. I mean, I still have the website up, but I'm working on one right now and, and putting a shopping cart on it and more video access for people just so that, you know, maybe they can do, maybe I can get into some online training, right? Maybe if people can't access me one-on-one, -on -one, at least they can watch something and maybe learn something from it, right? So, um, and I just really am into sharing information. So, you know, from 2004 on, I did the odd job here and there. And uh, I ended up in Afghanistan in 2013, fortunate enough that the RCMP needed a a tactical senior NCO to go over there. So I fit the bill and 
I went over with a couple other guys and we, I was able to develop the program over there. And that's really when the juices really started to flow for me because when we arrived over in the sandbox, there was no computer, there was no cell phone, there was nothing. I didn't have paper and they wanted me to deliver some information. So I said, well, here's what I need. I got the cash from the British embassy who sponsored the program and I started putting something together and I refused to teach in the sand is what I said. I'm not going to teach with a stick in the sand. That's been going on for years. And by the time I was ready for the first class to go and I am being dogmatic, but I did, you know, I was in charge and I set it up and the guys helped me with what we needed as far as teaching went, but we had a full on classroom out at one of the bases driving through hell to get there every day. But when we got there, it was a classroom. There was uh, PowerPoint presentations in both languages and uh, translators and handouts and pens and pencils. And it was a classroom. We had mats. We did everything. And, uh, you know, pretty proud of that piece. And then that's really what started me going, you know, you could do this, Scott. You could really start to take off. And then I, got, I lucked into, uh, I shouldn't say luck because I know I have the skill, but it is luck to, to bump into the right person at the right time, right? And And one of my buddies said, you should call so-and-so because he's looking for people right now in Ukraine. And I had some leave at the end of my service and I started taking leave and, and going over and teaching and teaching what I wanted to teach. And that's really when, when I really started to say, so we're talking 2015, 2016, 2017 in there, I started getting the contacts I needed over there with the U.S. and different areas. And I was able to teach my stuff. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that everything I teach is wrong because it's not, but going forward, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sold that the very first set of vehicle takedowns, uh, you know, I, I helped develop those for national uh, emergency response teams back in the nineties, early nineties, because there wasn't anything on paper. So how to take a vehicle down. And certainly people have developed that and changed that over time. But there are still a couple of things that I don't agree with, and I like to do it this way sort of thing. And I could do that when I was there, and I could give them that information. And I could base, and I base my information on not only what's in my head, but what I've done and how I've done things safely. And they can show me something, and I can say, well, here's why that's unsafe, and here's why I changed this, and I developed it this way. And then I was, you know, I also uh, am a tactical bike instructor. That's the best way to put that, because we police with bikes, right? So I did a couple of those courses over there, and... Uh, some hands-on stuff too, like police defensive tactics. I don't consider myself an expert in that area, although I have the training, but you know, I, I certainly know how to handle myself on a mat because fitness is important to me, but I've never been that guy that wants to get down on the ground with someone who knows how to fight down there. I'm a striker because, you know, I just end up as a turtle back on the back in a Kimura or something thinking, well, this was a bad idea. <laughs> um, get the so life out of your knowing room. your limitations is important too, right? So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, and so that's that's how it started. And then just in the last little while, I've started really pushing it harder to the person that comes to the range. And they're like, I, I will just say the odd thing off on the side. I never interfere with anything that, that we're teaching because, I, you know, the RCMP is still paying me on a contractual basis to teach their stuff. And I'm fortunate to have that work. But there are still things that I would, you know, that, that I will say, there's other ways of doing this. And what we're being, doing is we're teaching a basic product. That's what we're supposed to do, right? And then people take it to the next level. I'm not the only instructor at this range that goes out on weekends and tries something else or takes other courses. And I've had that conversation too. It's interesting. I'll throw in this aside. I, you know, I was, I was over uh, in Ukraine one time and one of the guys through the translator said, this is not how we do this. And I said, okay, well, if you don't do it this way, you're not going to pass. And he couldn't understand that, right? And I was like, I don't understand what you don't understand about tactics. I can't go and take a course 
you know, if you're offering me a course, right, Adam, I, I say, okay, well, I don't like this, so I'm not going to do that. I don't think you're giving me a certificate when I walk out the door, right? Like, that's not how things work. You need to understand the system that's being taught. You need to be able to do that system. And then at the end, you get a handshake and a certificate if that's what you, is part of the course, right? Yeah. And uh, there, I've definitely that, involved in a few of those where it's, you're yeah. like, I'm expecting, uh, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this was the case at all, but what I have been to courses where you, you're like, okay, I'm expecting something good. And then they go off on a tangent and you're like, I would never do this. And yeah, exactly. But, you know what? I'll do it. I'll try it. I'll do it. And I'll train it yeah. your way. And because at the end of the day, I think that, you can always learn something, even if it's something not to do, but you Absolutely. always learn something from every course that you attend. And I think, I think that's a great point that you bring up is that people have to realize like you're the, every course isn't going to be the best course you've ever taken. It's, it's obviously exactly. going to happen. So yeah. take what yeah. you can from it. Um, and the other thing too, is kind of taking this full circle back to what we initially talked about was people being lifelong learners and going out and if you have to spend you know your own dime to to take training courses making sure that you do the research and that you vet your instructor and the program first before going and spending a hundred five hundred two thousand dollars or flying across the country or flying to a different country to attend a course and not actually understanding what it's about so i think um and that's and that's why i'm so glad to have a guy like you on um, who you can obviously tell has the wealth of knowledge, has the experience. And and the thing of it too is I, I really appreciate the fact that you kind of shoot it from the hip and you say, listen, I'm, you know what, I'm not the best at this, but this is stuff that I do know and this is why. And you know, even though the curriculum says these are the things that we teach in this course, I'll show you the, what's in the curriculum, but then I'm going to show you a few tweaks because in my experience, this is this is real world changes now that we had to make on the fly. And then this is why I'm going to share this information with you. I think that's also extremely valuable, not taking an instructor that's completely green, that has no field time and expecting to get the best information from them. Cause it's just not going to happen for everybody listening here. Um, I know we kind of went a little bit past uh, what we were talking about, but if you're looking to speak with Scott, it's at BritmarTacticalConsulting.com. We're going to have the link to his webpage. They're going to be on the show notes page. It's going to be on the website for everybody to check out. You can reach out to him at BritmarTactical at gmail.com. And again, we'll have the links to this website and to his email for everybody who wants to get in touch with Scott and talk about some training. Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time, my man. Thank you so much for coming onto this show. I can't wait to have you back and talk more about tactics, training, firearms, businesses, all this kind of stuff. So thank you so much, sir, and I hope that you're uh, hope you're ready to come back and let me know when you are. And that's a wrap on today's podcast. Thank you guys so much again for joining us. If you haven't already, you can check out Scott's website at BritmarTacticalConsulting.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-M-A-R TacticalConsulting.com. He told me that he is more than happy to get any type of contact, emails, phone calls from you guys if you have any questions about training, tactics, and he does travel. I know he goes around Canada and the U.S. and travels for courses. So if you're an agency or you're looking to have somebody come in and teach a course, make sure you reach out to Scott. He is the guy to go to for sure. One last thing before we end this podcast 
if you enjoy this content. If you like what we're putting out and you want to hear more, you want to hear more from experts or you know somebody who you feel would be a great expert to have on this podcast, reach out to us, leave us some comments, send us a message, and we are happy to reach out to anyone that you think would benefit you or our listeners when it comes to this type of content. Thank you so much for joining us on the Tactical Breakdown, and we will see you next time. Stay safe.